I'll be inviting you to open your Bibles to Galatians, at least the last time for a while. Galatians chapter 6, if you need a Bible this morning, you got out of the house without yours, we keep some in the back. We'd be glad to share a copy of God's Word with you. If you don't own a Bible, then you keep this Bible, write your name in it, and it'll be our gift uh, to you. And as a church family, we'd love for you to always have your Bible when you come and spend time with us. And there's a little note page in your bulletin. Grab that also if you're not familiar with that part of things. Well, I was asking you about the weather a moment ago, and there is a story that kind of moves in those same directions. It was autumn, and the Indians on a remote reservation asked their new chief if the winter was going to be cold or if it was going to be mild. And, and since he was an Indian chief in a modern society, he had never been taught the old ways of his ancestors for discerning the severity of a coming winter. When he looked up at the sky, he couldn't tell what the weather was going to be, and So just to be on the safe side, he told the tribe that this winter was indeed going to be cold and that the members of the village should collect firewood and be prepared. But because he was also a new chief, he wanted to use all of the resources that he had at his disposal. And so he called the National Weather Service and he asked, he says, is the coming winter going to be bad? And and yes, the meteorologist said, it looks like it's going to be quite a cold winter. And uh, so the chief went back to his people, and he told them to collect more wood. Well, a week later, he called the weather service again and uh, asked, is it going to be a very cold winter? And the meteorologist said, yes, it's definitely going to be a very cold winter. So the chief went back to his people again and ordered them to collect every scrap of wood that they could possibly find. Two weeks later, he called the weather service again. Are you absolutely sure this winter is going to be really, really cold? No doubt about it, the man replied. We're projecting this to be one of the coldest winters on record. And the the chief said, well, how can you be so sure? And the weatherman replied, we are sure because the Indians are collecting wood like crazy. You saw that one coming, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, Silly story. Silly story. I get it. You can talk to me after service of how silly it was. but, but, But the story does make a point. Our ability to make the best decisions, sound decisions, the right decisions, is only going to be as good as the source of information that we are relying upon or looking to. Agreed? Yeah. When it comes to the most important question of all, how can a sinner have a personal relationship with the only true God, a relationship marked by love and acceptance, forgiveness of sin, eternal life now and forever? When it comes to this all-important salvation question, we better know for sure that our source of information is reliable, that it's trustworthy, that it's dependable and solid. And this was precisely the crisis that the Galatians in the first century were facing. What would be their source for salvation truth? Would it be the message of a very determined and persuasive group of false teachers whom we have come to know of as the Judaizers who said that that, uh, God will love you and he'll accept you and he will give you salvation, but only when you commit to fully follow the rules and the customs and the traditions and the practices 
of the Jewish people as they are presented in the Old Testament Mosaic Law. Salvation by human effort and good works with a little bit of Jesus thrown in for good measure. Would the Judaizers be the Galatians' truth source? Or would their source of salvation truth be from the Holy Spirit as he sends the Apostle Paul to the Galatians with the message of Jesus plus nothing equals everything that matters? Place your full faith in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did and when he died on the cross and paid the sin debt that we could never pay and then rose from the dead victorious over sin and the grave. Place your full faith in Jesus and what he has already done and be saved. Jesus plus nothing else. Paul, Holy Spirit inspired, wrote the Galatian letter to help his friends, his beloved friends, settle the question. What will it be? Salvation by good works, your own efforts, your own performance to try to be good enough for God to love you and want you, or will it be salvation by God's grace and your faith in his son's death on the cross apart from anything else that you would do or could do? Reliance on what you do or faith in what Jesus has already done? That's the question. And that's the question that the book of Galatians seeks to answer. You know, church family, we have walked now with the Galatian letter and with Paul for six chapters, 17 mornings together, and six chapters as he has systematically demonstrated for us that Jesus plus nothing else is the only kind of salvation that God has ever offered to sinners. Yes? Agreed? Yeah. It's the only kind of relationship with God that the Galatians or us should ever want. As Paul declares in chapter 2, verse 16 of the Galatian letter, kind of the cornerstone of the letter, and we spent a whole morning on this one verse, just remind you of it once again, we know that a person is not justified, Paul says. That word means not guilty, fully righteous, In God's sight, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Could it be any more clear than that? If the book of Galatians was just that one verse, that would be it, wouldn't it? That would answer the question. Well, in chapter 5, verse 1, though, Paul added this other great truth. For freedom, Christ has set us what? Free. Free from a works-based approach to God. He set us free from that. Stand firm, he says. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul's saying to the Galatians, he's saying to us, never go back to trying to work your way to God impressing him with your efforts. Jesus liberated you, liberated me from that slave-driving lie. Live free and do what pleases God, but, but only as an expression of your love for him, only as an expression of your gratitude for his saving you, not as the way that you would be saved. You're free. Two eternity-changing truths, justified by faith in Jesus alone, and free to live for and love the one who loved us first. Amen? Amen. Well, today we come to the final eight verses of the book. 
verses 11 through 18 of chapter 6. And with them, we come to the end of our study series. And, and as we do, church family, I just want to thank you for walking this road with me the, through the book of Galatians. You really didn't have much choice. I realized that. Uh, this is where we were going to go, and you, you're, I get that. But I really am grateful um, that I am part of a church that wants to take the time to plumb the depths of God's word in the way that we have been able to do that through this book of Galatians. I've learned a ton personally through this time. I've been challenged. I've discovered things that I never knew before in the book of Galatians and beyond that. But more than anything else, I, I feel like I have come to, to, to love my God more and to love Jesus more and to be more aware of the Holy Spirit's role in my life because we've spent time like this for 17 weeks in this book. But more than anything else, I would say I am more in awe of my salvation now than when we began. I'm blown away by God's plan of salvation for us. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I hope that this has this would be true for you as well. And that this phrase, this, this, this tool that we've used to help drive this truth home is really deeply rooted for you. You will never forget it. That would be my prayer. Well, as we cross the finish line this morning and we consider these closing eight verses, see them as I have come to see them. An amazing summary of everything that Paul has said in this letter all compressed and compacted down into these eight verses. Paul will one last time draw a sharp contrast that exists between the one who is living by faith in Jesus and the one who is trusting uh, in Jesus. Living by faith in Jesus and the one who is, is trying to work their way into God's love. He's going to draw a sharp contrast between those two ways of thinking and living. And he's going to leave us with one final charge ringing in our ears. If we boast about anything in this life, let it be the cross. Let it be the cross of Jesus. That's what he's going to leave us with this morning. So here's how this final section reads. Uh, if you'll follow along in, in your Bible or on your iPad or whatever as, as I read for us. Um, and, and as I uh, begin to read for I'm going to ask you to paint a picture on the canvas of your imagination before we start. I want you to picture Paul uh, dictating this Galatian letter to a professional secretary, to, to a scribe. For five and a half chapters, imagine that he has walked around in a, in, a, in a living room or maybe out on a covered patio somewhere, and he is, he is writing this letter to the Galatians, but he's dictating it. He's not actually doing the, the writing. A scribe is doing that. This was the practice of the time, and, and, and Paul employed this strategy in a number of his letters. Um, but now, in this closing moment, I want you to picture Paul walking over to the scribe, seated at a table. He sits down next to him, and he reaches over, and he takes the quill out of the scribe's hand. And he slides the parchment from in front of the scribe, and he, and he puts that parchment right in front of himself, because that's exactly what he does with these last eight verses. He's going to say, I love and care about you Galatians so much, I'm going to finish this letter myself. Verse 11. 
See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand, he says. Now, many think, and and I do as well, that Paul makes reference to the large letters that he writes with because he may have had some kind of a, a chronic eye ailment and was not able to see very well. Back in chapter 4, verse 13, when we were in that part of this letter, you may recall that he refers to a physical struggle that he was having that actually resulted in him being in Galatia far longer than he had anticipated. And he actually says in that section there that, that to the Galatians that if they could have, they would have plucked their eyes out and given them to him. So it may be that the physical affliction that he was suffering from had something to do with his, with his eyes, with vision. And so by pointing out these large letters that he has to write with, he may well be trying to assure his friends that he really is the author of this letter and that his position on salvation is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the reason he has to do that is because the Judaizers could easily have said, you know, Paul's letter is a forgery. It's a fake. He doesn't believe Jesus plus nothing. He believes like we do. Somebody wrote this letter and and tried to pass it off as his, and Paul says, no, no. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. These are God's words through my hand and from my heart to you. And then he draws one more time an impossible-to-miss line of contrast between himself and the false teachers who have been so dangerously misleading his friends. And in the process, he actually summarizes the entire message of the book of Galatians. Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And we say, Amen. And Holy Spirit, we ask you now to unpack these verses for us and make them real to us. If we go back up now to verses 12 and 13, I read Paul's words in these two verses, and it almost sounds to me like he is a a father giving a strong and loving warning to his kids who are in danger. And in a manner of speaking, that's kind of the case because Paul is the Galatian brothers and sisters' spiritual father. He's the one who introduced them to Jesus about a year and a half earlier. And and, and now the Judaizers have pounced on these Gentile baby followers of Jesus. and, And they're saying, you know, Jesus is not enough. You need to become Jewish and you need to do the Mosaic law of the Jews if you really want to be saved. The centerpiece of that thought was circumcision, an outward physical sign among the Jews that represented for them devotion and commitment 
and identification with God. And so if you weren't circumcised, well, then you really didn't belong to God. It was, it was that simple. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, who would compel you to believe that your salvation comes from good rule keeping. And what Paul does in verse 12, verse 13, is expose the true motives of the Judaizers. And man, he does not mince any words here. He says, listen, the false teachers who are confusing you about your salvation in Jesus are trusting in their own flesh. The word flesh in verse 12 is Paul's word choice in this context for any self-reliant, self-generated, salvation-earning effort or act. My good works save me is a flesh-dependent lie. Agreed? And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, those false teachers who are who are trusting in themselves and in their flesh. They, they, they have fallen into pride, as you see it there on your note page. They've fallen into pride. They're living cowardly, and they're playing the hypocrite. And that's laying it out pretty clear, isn't it? This is who they are. This is their motives. A good works theology, brothers and sisters, it promotes pride, doesn't it? It really feeds the sin of pride. Either you get puffed up because you think you're doing so good or you look down on others because you don't think they're doing as good as you. Either way, the meeting point is pride. In verse 12, the Judaizers want to be conspicuous and visible in their law-keeping performance so that others will be impressed, so that Jesus gets glorified? No, so that they get glorified, so that they get noticed and then at the end of verse 13 they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh their motive says paul is clear they want others to notice how zealously and aggressively they work to win converts to to the mosaic law so that they can brag about you, brag about you and how many of uh, they have converted to their way of thinking it's like they're carrying around a, a, a tally sheet in the back pocket of their toga. And every time they, that, they, that they win another person to their way of thinking, they pull out that sheet and they check it off. And, and they're kind of counting. Paul observes this and it, it just it makes him angry. He observes as well that the false teachers are cowards when it comes to the message of Jesus' cross. Verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be what? Persecuted for the cross of Christ. They don't want to be persecuted. And so they want to divert and go over here and, and tell you to, to do the, the law because they don't want to be persecuted. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul writes that church family and he says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jew, and folly in the eyes of the Gentiles. For the Jew, anybody who died on a cross was cursed by God. That's what the Old Testament said. And, and so Jesus could never actually be the sinner's savior, certainly couldn't be the Messiah, because if you died on a cross, you were cursed by God. So it couldn't be, Jesus couldn't be the savior. And to the non-Jew, the Gentile, the idea of, of one person's death being able to atone for the sin of the world, 
Well, that just sounded like foolishness. And so consequently, the message of the cross of Jesus, it brings condemnation, it brings ridicule, it brings persecution to those who are going to proclaim that message. Well, the Judaizers didn't want any part of that. And so they would divert the focus away from the cross and onto the Jewish law. It was a lot safer. Their message, Jesus plus other things, law, circumcision, rather than Jesus plus nothing, allowed them to walk a cowardly tightrope between their own people and the Gentile Jesus followers. And then all of this exposed, Paul says, the hypocrisy of these teachers. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep this law. What is that? Well, that's hypocrisy, isn't it? They tell you to do something that they are not themselves going to do. You know, we've noticed uh, num- we've, we've noted numerous times in our study in Galatians that be- because of the sin nature that we all have, that we're all born with, it's impossible for us, for us to perfectly keep the law of God, right? We've, we've acknowledged that. We've agreed to that truth. Paul declared it in chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Man, we can't do that. In fact, that verse tells us we need a Savior, right? Because we can't perfectly keep the law. And so the false teachers who couldn't keep the law themselves are telling the Galatians to keep the law in order to be saved. Paul calls that hypocrisy. And, then, and it's cowardly. And it's pride. For everyone, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they can boast about you. Paul finds all of this detestable. Souls are on the line. Eternities are, are truly at stake. And all that these false teachers care about is looking good in the eyes of others, staying safe, and, and, and bragging about themselves. And Paul says to his dear friends uh, whom he loves, he says, man, I'm not going there. If I boast about anything in this life, it will be the cross of Jesus. That's it. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If this verse is not highlighted or underlined or starred in some way in your Bible, I would just urge you to do that. This is one of the great verses, certainly of the book of Galatians, but I would say of all of Scripture. From the moment that Jesus died on a Roman cross, the cross has been the recognized symbol of the Christian faith, right? I mean, it has been. Uh, In fact, how have we decorated our sanctuary? We've made the cross central, haven't we? Because we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And so the cross has become the symbol. And we, we put it right up here in front. We can't look up front without seeing the cross. And that's the way it should be. It's strange, if you stop and think about it, that that such a horrific instrument of death would become the symbol of our faith. But it has become that. Because it's not just an instrument of death. It is for us, a true follower of Jesus, a symbol of life, isn't it? 
It's our life. Our life is, is inseparably connected to the cross. Jesus, though sinless God in human flesh, he suffered and he died on that cross as the full and final sin payment for you and me to God. When by faith we identify with his death and, and understand that his death was for us, we are saying by our faith that his dying means our life. His cross means our life. And so leave it to God to, to transform the most unvarnished expression of, 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 of sin and death. Leave it to God to, to transform the cross from that into the most beautiful expression of love and life that we could ever have. Leave it to God. Jesus' cross means life. Nothing else added to his cross. Amen? Amen. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The message of the cross of Jesus very clearly was for Paul not something that you avoided. It wasn't something that you deflected. It wasn't something that you, you watered down. The cross of Jesus was the object. It was the, the focus, the centerpiece, the all-consuming passion for Paul and the only source of his boasting. Here's the truth. We can never boast in ourselves in what we do and at the same time boast in the cross of Jesus and what he has done, can we? You can't play both sides of that, that fence, of that game. If we boast in our own ability to earn our acceptance by God, we work our way into his grace, if that's how it is, then we will never, ever be boasting in the cross of Jesus because the cross of Jesus proclaims that he did it all, right? And so all boasting is to go to him for what he has done and not what we have done. Our faith in Jesus' atoning, sin-atoning death, his life-proclaiming resurrection, that's what saves us. But the saving work is all of Jesus. When Paul wrote the Ephesian church family, he said it this way. In fact, can we just read this right off the screen together, church? Let's do it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's another verse to have, another two verses to have highlighted in your Bible. Could it be any more clear? Salvation, not by works, but by grace through faith in the work of Jesus' cross. We have to choose. Myself? Am I going to trust myself or am I going to trust the cross of Jesus? Only if we humbly agree with God and with his word that we are hell-deserving sinners will we, will we ever give up boasting in ourselves and then fly to that cross and, 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 and there find our salvation and then spend the, the rest of our lives looking to that cross and pointing to that cross and telling other people about that cross and boasting about it, right? Not about us, but boasting about it. This is where my life is in Jesus' cross. Paul says that in his own life, when he came to grasp the truth about who Jesus is and what he had done for him, 
he parted company with the world. Isn't that what it says, verse 4, 14? But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, he says. The word world is, is Paul's word not only for a life that's ruled by the flesh, which is by its very nature attracted to the things that are not of God, but, but this word refers in its larger meaning to the anti-God spiritual system that is under the control of Satan right now. It's, and and it's, the, it's the world under which the entire human race is, is, is uh, under his control, under Satan's control. And it, it refers to Satan's false system of religion, the system that, that Judaizers had ignorantly bought into and into which all cults and all other religions that have legalistic work saves theology and doctrine. It's that world. And Paul says, that world, that, I died to that world when I gave my life to Jesus. It has no attraction for me. In fact, listen to this short testimony that Paul gave to another church, the Philippian Christians. In Philippians chapter 2, we'll put this up on the screen for you. Paul writes, and this is his own salvation story. In his past, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. In other words, man, if good works and rule keeping could save you, then I'm in. That's what he says. Verse 7. He continues, but whatever gain I had, I, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Does that sound like a guy who's died to the world? That I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from good works, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The world has been crucified to me, Paul says, and I to the world, he adds. When you and I are following hard after Jesus and we're boasting only in his cross, not only does the world not hold an enduring attraction to us anymore, Paul says that we become dead to the world. The world looks at us, and the world looks at us and, and thinks worthless, troublesome, a thorn in our side to be eliminated if possible. Paul says to his friends in Galatia, I'm okay with that. I'm okay if the world doesn't want me. The world never wanted Jesus. I don't expect it to want me. I will boast in the cross because that's where my life, my freedom, my future is. And between the lines, you can just tell here that he's urging his friends to think the same way. Think like this. Boast in the cross of Jesus alone. And then he says in verse 15, if you want to flip that little note page over, just to reiterate what he's already told us several times in this letter, 
For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a what? A new creation. That's what counts, he says. Paul says the legalism of religious rule keeping means nothing. It holds zero value for your salvation. Do not give that another thought. However, do give attention to this thought. The power of the cross of Jesus to make you a new creation. Think about that. One night in in John chapter 3, in your Bible, an extremely zealous religious and moral leader of Israel by the name of Nicodemus visited Jesus. And he he visited him secretly. Uh, He didn't want any of his associates to know that he was going to see Jesus since they hated Jesus. And, and, And yet he really wanted to know, what is your message, Jesus? What's your message? And Jesus tells him, under the cover of darkness, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the message. That old sin-infected nature that we were all born with and, and can't, it, it cannot be remodeled, Jesus says. Not even by God. Because there is not one shred of good in that nature to work with. Jesus tells Nicodemus that a sinner needs to be made entirely new. You need a new life. You need to be born anew. You need to be reborn spiritually. You need a, a new birth. You need to become a new creation, right? That's what Jesus said. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Many of you know this verse by heart. Can we say it together as a church? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. Isn't that a great verse? Oh, that is, that is, a, that is a life changer. Only only in Jesus and a personal relationship with him through faith in his cross. Only then can, can we rejoice in our future because we have been made brand new, purpose-filled, brand new, fit for heaven and life with God forever. Well, then Paul adds, verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, what rule? What rule? Why the rule that makes you a new creation? Walk by that rule, Paul says. And as for all who walk by that rule, what is the rule that makes you a new creation? Church family, what is the rule that makes you a new creation? It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Absolutely. That's the rule. Walk by that rule, Paul says. Embrace that rule without reservation, Paul says, and peace and mercy be upon you. The peace that Paul has in view in this verse is not released from some trouble or or struggle or conflict or a hard time in your life, but rather this is talking about peace between you, the sinner, and God. Peace between you and God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. What does that verse say? Therefore, since we have been justified, there's that word. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through good works? Through my own, my own dutiful performance? No. 
through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we forget that before we trusted Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, we weren't just some kind of a, of a neutral, non-committed person to God. We were his, say it, his enemy. We were his enemy. Our sin made us an enemy to his holiness. Now, if that's a new thought, check out verse 10 of this same Romans 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, that's pointing us to the cross, much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be what? Saved by his life. And we say amen and amen. How much more will we have peace through the cross of Jesus? And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul does a really cool thing here. He acknowledges the the Gentile Galatian believers. He says, peace be upon you because of your faith in Jesus. But he also acknowledges those Jews, his own countrymen, who have forsaken legalism and trust in the law to save them and have given themselves fully to Jesus. He's acknowledging them as the true Israel of faith, shares in the same kind of faith that, that, that Father Abraham had. And, and, and we spent a lot of time talking about Abraham in the early part of, of the Galatian letter. And so that was a, that, 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 that's what he's, he's trying to do. He's trying to include all those who have stopped looking to themselves and they're looking only to the cross. Verse 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This this is Paul's way of saying, let no one question my motives or the content of my message because unlike the Judaizers, I'm not trying to avoid persecution for Jesus' sake. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Verse verse 12, the the Judaizers, you remember they they were sidestepping the cross because they didn't want to be persecuted. Paul says, I have the scars on my body to prove that the cross is my message and Jesus is my first love. His motives were Jesus-focused, cross-centered, and he says, I have the scars to prove that. Now, he doesn't talk about his scars here. He just refers to them. But in his second letter to the Corinthian church family, he gives us quite a detailed description of his scars. Let me read them for you. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 to 30. This humbles me every time I read this passage. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul says, these are my scars. And every one of them is because of the cross of Jesus. 
his anxiety over all the churches. This whole letter that we've shared for all these weeks, it's really an expression of the anxiety that Paul feels. His friends are in danger, and he's, he's defending them against the lies of a works-based salvation. You know, we know nothing of this kind of wounding for Jesus' sake. We may one day, but we don't right now. But Paul, in a, in a moment of talking to a young pastor, when he was only maybe a very short time from his own execution in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we can just anticipate that, right? We can just anticipate there'll be wounds if we're going to love the cross of Jesus. Boast in the cross of Jesus and be free, Paul says. Celebrate your transformed new creation life. Live by by Jesus plus nothing else. Live by that rule and rest in peace with God. A peace the world can't supply. And expect that love for Jesus and his cross will come with a cost. There'll be some wounds, but it's going to be worth it. That's what he says. That's how he closes out his letter. And then he says this, the last verse. He closes with grace. Chapter 6, verse 1. He, are, he opened the letter really with the word grace. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the what? The grace of Christ. And that you're turning to a different gospel. You're entertaining this false gospel. He says, I'm astonished. But now here, six chapters later, and after much love and encouragement and careful painstaking teaching, he is confident that his friends will have once more taken hold of the cross of Jesus with an unbreakable grip of faith, and they will make the cross their boast. And so he prays a prayer of grace, blessing over them. The grace, the undeserved, unmerited, unearned love and kindness and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And we say, Amen. Let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, you have you have truly been kind to us. You have given us a wonderful gift. Eighteen weeks sharing together the rich truth of the Galatian letter sharing the centerpiece of this letter, which is Jesus plus nothing equals everything that matters. And we are so, so grateful that we have that truth. We are so glad today that we are not trying to to win your love, trying to earn your approval, your acceptance by being good rule followers. We want to live our lives in such a way that you would be honored by them but not to earn your love, but rather to tell you that we love you. We thank you. And we thank you most of all today for the cross. Because that's where our life is. Our life is in your cross, Lord Jesus. And it is in that that we want to boast, both by our words, by our actions, We want to boast in your cross. We want to be a church family that boasts only in your cross. We have in this moment now a a great 
privilege you've extended to us to remember your death, Jesus, for us on the cross. We would like to do that. We know that this is a sacred moment to you. You instituted what we're about to share through the bread and the cup. And so we take this moment very seriously because you do. But it's an opportunity for us, uh, really as a church family, to boast. To boast about your cross. Not about what we've done, but about what you have done. And so we would, we would just ask you to receive this gift of our celebration of your death, burial, and resurrection for us through these elements. We give you these moments in Jesus' great name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.